I'm Bethany Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and R&B music throughout the decades. In our latest episode, soulmusic.com founder David Nathan is joined by distinguished entertainment journalist Janine Cavini, former R&B music editor at Billboard magazine. Today, they discuss the July 2020 deluxe edition reissue of the legendary Roberta Flack's first take, the 1969 album for Atlantic Records. David and Janine share in-depth about the groundbreaking LP, Roberta's distinctive artistry and comment on specific tracks from the album and some of the 1968 demos included in the soulmusic.com exclusive release. So let's join David and Janine as they share their thoughts about Roberta and First Take. Janine, it is just delightful to have this conversation with you. Uh, as uh, we both know, we go way back. Way uh, back. To, way back to a time when uh, you were my esteemed R&B editor at uh, Billboard, and I was one of your trusty uh, freelancers. Indeed. And it was a pleasure to, we, we developed a relationship over the phone and over our mutual love for R&B music. And it was actually a few years before we met in person when right. I moved to Los Angeles. And then we moved in this, I moved into the same neighborhood and we've become great friends. So it's a pleasure for me to be here to talk to you about our favorite topic, music. Correct. And today we are celebrating the um, release of First Take, the re-release, I should say, the deluxe edition of First Take, the first album by Roberta Flack on Atlantic Records. And uh, I'm really excited about it because it's been a labor of love for me to work on it with uh, different people at uh, Run Out Groove and, and Patrick Milligan at Rhino and so on, and, of course, with Roberta and her and her management. Um, and we'll be talking about some of the uh, specific tracks on there playing a little bit of some of them, yeah, and also the demos, 12 demos that um, constituted the, uh, I guess, rehearsals in a sense for what would turn out to be first take. Before we get into the actual album itself, I'm just interested to hear from you. When did you first become aware of Roberta Flack's music? Well, I'll tell you, I was um, pretty young. I don't even think I was in... Um high school yet. It would have been uh, the 60s for me. Um, I had an older cousin who was a college uh, professor, and she was into all of this music. So a lot of this kind of was popular on college campuses. So she had first take, and I remember hearing it in her house. And then in my household, we had Roberta Flack's second album, but because we loved it, I think my parents went and got the first album. So I became aware of her and I was really fascinated by her voice because she had such a pristine quality to her voice. There was an elegance to her. There was a blackness to her that came across and she sounded different to me than what was out. I was used to the soul music and the finger snapping music and, you know, all of that. And she clearly, um, made her own mark. It almost seems like she came out of the same group of like the American singer songwriter movement, that kind of sound, even though she wasn't much of a songwriter, but she was able to be such a grand interpreter of other people's music that she almost 
you would almost expect that she was a singer songwriter. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so I heard compared to what, um, specifically the first time ever I saw your face, of course. And I know we'll talk about that in a minute, but that's how I became aware of her as like this pristine sort of voice of, of calm and intelligence and poetry, really, because of how great her vocal interpretation skills were. Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, yes to all of that. In fact, uh, my first time um, uh, actually seeing Roberta Flack was, uh, I mean, I was familiar with the albums before uh, she came to Britain for the first time which was in 1972, I believe. And um, she was, it was just, there was no one else that we could compare her to. I mean, just the way she performed. She actually did a, it was very unusual back in the time that we had, a, there was a BBC special. She had an hour special on BBC oh. TV. Yeah. Um, it was part of a series called Sound of Soul. And um, it was just, just watching her at the piano with her musicians on television as well was just like, wow. And she wasn't really comparable to anyone else in particular because of her, you know, the, as you mentioned, the sound of her voice wasn't like, I mean, well, like she couldn't be funky, but she, that wasn't how you right. how people perceived her. Right. Um, you mentioned compared to what, so I think that's really a great place to start. And um, one of the things that's interesting is the song was um, uh, done by Les McCann, who was responsible for Roberta's introduction to Atlantic Records. I don't know if you know much about that story. Mm -hmm. Wasn't she teaching at Howard and also um, playing at this local DC nightclub? Yeah, Mr. Henry's. Right. I'm just curious, did you ever, have you ever been to Mr. Henry's? No. Mm -mm. I have. It's, it's it's a tiny place. It's a tiny little place. Seems club. like it would be a hole in the wall kind of jazz. Well, it, 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 I think it was popular because of its location. And um, I can't remember what street it was on, but they still, what they did, uh, Roberta became like this, um, like almost like a fixture at, at the club. And um, so there was a room upstairs that got dubbed the Roberta Flack room. And she had them put in. Uh, like pews, like like as if in church pews uh, of seats, and uh, you know what, what, what's known about that, of course, is that many, uh, as the word spread about it, yeah, we must come to worship at the shrine of Roberta. Yeah, a, a, a lot of the uh, people who stopped by, a word of mouth spread, you know, were quite you know well known. Johnny Mathis, but Bacharach, a whole lot of people just stop in to see to see her because they heard about this amazing, uh, amazing vocalist and pianist. And um, that's apparently how Les McCann found out about her. And uh, he was just blown away and then promptly uh, spoke to his then new producer, for him then new producer, Joel Dawn Joel. of Atlantic, yeah. And, uh, you know, within a certain time period, uh, uh, Roberta Flack became an Atlantic recording artist. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about compared to what, because I think okay. you mentioned it, and it is interestingly still relevant. So um, let's say a little bit about about the song uh, before we we play a little bit of it. So what, what do you want to what What are your thoughts about compared to what? Well, my thoughts about it are that when I first heard it, you know, I was young, and um, it seemed revolutionary to me that she was talking about 
things that were wrong in society. And, you know, when you're a kid, you don't quite have a grasp on all of this. And hearing it later in life, it, it's as affecting as almost any other kind of a protest song, social justice song. And as I, you know, you and I both know, these issues are still relevant, pressing, problematic, traumatic today. They're, they're the same issues that we're dealing with as we dealt with then. And I think the the quality of her voice in able to, as she's able to phrase this, you know, you really get that message right here. You know, you get every word right here. And I know the song had been recorded by others as well. Um, I know I heard it by Oscar Brown as as well, who, um, mm. not Oscar Brown, that's not right. Les McCann and others yes, have yes. done instrumentals. Yes. So, um, but I think her version is really affecting. What do you think? I agree 100%. And, and what, I, what I find particularly relevant uh, and interesting is all, all songs from that era don't necessarily uh, pass the test of time. Right. You know, there's some songs from that time period wouldn't really, even though the issues might be the same or similar, they don't quite fit with what we're dealing with now. But this one, I mean, it's just like, although, as I remember in the lyric lines, uh, she's talking about the president. Of course, she was, the, the, the song's referring to uh, to Nixon, I believe. Oh, no, no, yeah, Nixon. Or... Yeah, 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 Nixon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's sad to say is relevant about the current uh, administration. It is. And even though it's not uh, a war uh, in oh. Vietnam, we're fighting a war against this coronavirus and people are dying in the fight. Yeah. And um, the administration is looking the other way. If I, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little too political. That's but okay. we know, well, I'll keep you there. So it's okay. <laughs> we know that there's parallels in the song. And just to talk about the song as an opener to Roberta's album, it kind of gives us an intro into her more um, swinging sound, but also it establishes her as a voice. Like she is a voice for the people. She's a storyteller. She is um, a troubadour, if you will. Mm. And um, she she creates this intimacy throughout the whole album. Every every song, she pulls you close and is like whispering in your ear. And it has to do with the instrumentation on the album, which is very spare. And it, it makes it timeless because almost every song, as we'll get to, Still resonates. Still resonates. Mm -hmm. Well, let's 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 pause and, and and for a moment and let's uh have uh let's hear some of compared to what. Wow. Well, listening to it again, it, it just is just a reminder of exactly how timeless it is and how time timely and. Timely and timeless. So, so let's move on to a, another track I particularly um, wanted to talk to you about. Uh, and, and I am going to now um, reveal my command of Spanish. Aha. Even though it may be minimal, Angelitos Negros. You said it perfectly. Excellent. So let's talk about that because that is a, that is a very... Um, Wow, it, it, it's very different in, in some ways from everything else on the album. Um, I'd like to get your perspective on it. 
Well, I'm a person of Afro-Latino descent. So um, to hear, you know, I, I had Spanish speaking relatives, but the world seemed to be divided into, you know, you have your pop English soul over here and you have your Latin Spanish speaking artists yeah. over here. And very seldom, if ever, did you hear a an R&B or soul or African-American artist, if you will, sing in Spanish and sing a poem uh, to music that was written, um, you know, ages before. And the sentiment of the song, it's beautifully sung in Spanish. She does a beautiful job. Mm -hmm. And it's really about painter. I want painter. I want you to paint little black angels too, because they go to heaven mm -hmm. too. Black wow. people are beautiful. And I, when you paint these churches, there, you know, there's white angels. We want black, I want black angels too. And I think, I'm not saying it verbatim, but that's kind of like the sense <laughs> of it. And yeah. I know you can talk more about it musically, but it's importance as a statement of the beauty of blackness and also that there is Afro-Latino people who who are in existence and we can sing about the beauty of their blackness in a lot of different languages. Hmm. That's that uh, uh, that was so eloquent, Janine. You, you, you really no, really. It's as if you kind of were there with Roberta when she chose to do the song. Um, it, it, it is it's a it's the performance is also absolutely exquisite. I mean, you know, and, and and it's interesting again, you know, that when you look at this whole album, we look at compared to what we look at uh, Angelitos Negros. I'm just finding excuses to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and trying to yeah. <laughs> um, so before we go further let, let's uh, let's uh, let's listen to some of it Wow. I mean, you know, get, you know, hearing it back, uh, it's, it's, it's just really, it is haunting. It's kind of, it touches the heart, you know? Um, and I think, I want, one thing I want to also say, Janine, you, you, of course, you referenced what the lyrics are about. And I think that's uh, also relevant in the light of everything that's going on today, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which is, of course, we know um, didn't just begin this year. I mean, in right. other words, everything that it's about um, has been going on for decades and decades and decades. So I think it's particularly timely um, that as we listen to this song, it has another relevance. Is there anything you want to say about that particularly? Well, at a time when we are saying that Black Lives Matter and they're being disrespected all across the country and people are losing their lives because of the color of their skin, um, there are so many Black angels that we're praying for and 
seeing people leave us and um, not, it, it, Black Lives Matter, but also the pandemic, you know, as the yeah. pandemic um, impacts black and brown people, um, you know, what's the word? Not indiscriminately, but um, <laughs> disproportionately. Thank you, David. And um, so I don't know, in that sense, I feel like you know, Black Angels has, it resounds a little bit more. And it's mm -hmm. almost like, a, she sings it almost like it's a hymn in a way, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, let's move on to something, the song that I think probably um, is most uh, associated with the album. Before we, we play it and we talk about it, um, I have actually heard people do this particular song uh, while it, appears to be a love song to another person. I've actually heard people uh, interpret it also as a, um, as as Fanny said about him, almost like a hymn to something, to a, to a be it, to a, to someone they believe in or to a higher power. So it has a, a lot of different possible multiple meanings. Let's pause there for a quick break. Then we'll return to David Nathan and Jean Cavini as they continue to share about Roberta Flack and First Take. Now available exclusively at soulmusic.com, the 50th anniversary edition of First Take, Roberta Flack's 1969 debut album for Atlantic Records. First Take has been remastered and expanded to a two-CD, one-LP box set, featuring the original eight-track album plus 16 bonus tracks. First Take is a beautiful soul-jazz hybrid that includes the number one hit song, The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, and includes famous jazz luminaries such as Ron Carter, Benny Powell, and Selden Powell as sidemen. Featured in the 1971 Clint Eastwood movie Play Misty For Me, the popularity of The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face helped drive her debut album to number one on both the Billboard album chart and the R&B album chart. Newly remastered and expanded, this deluxe 50th anniversary edition includes 16 bonus tracks, 12 of which are previously unreleased, totaling nearly an hour of never-before-heard Roberta Flack music. Also included in this deluxe set is the original vinyl album, newly remastered and pressed on 140-gram vinyl. It's accompanied with a detailed essay by noted soul historian David Nathan, all beautifully packaged in a 12 by 12 hardback book. Roberta Flack's first take, the 50th anniversary edition, is now available for pre-order exclusively at soulmusic.com. Um, so let's talk about the first time ever I saw your face. Now, do you remember the first time you ever heard the song? I know I didn't see it in the in the movie. I had to be older. I was much older before I saw um, uh, what is it? Placed before me. Yeah. So, um, which is the Clint Eastwood movie in which the song is featured? I heard it again. I was very young, and it was arresting to my ear because of its. Um, 
it is slow. It's very compelling. Her voice mm. is very, um, she's not whispering, but she, she's telling you this slow, slow story of love. Like the first time I ever, she's expressing something that very few of us have heard expressed in quite that way. Cause so many love songs are like, I love you, baby. I want to be with you forever. You're so fine. Be mine. And they're not saying the first time ever I saw your face, I felt the earth move or the sky open. Yeah. And even as a child, I knew that this was a different kind of song. It almost like arrested you when you heard it. Like it, it's almost like you want to tell other people, shh, shh, shh. listen, yeah. listen, listen, because it's just so um, powerful and mm. insular and it causes you to listen. So I'm sure you heard it when you were older and um, it may have had a different meaning or been associated with a different person for you. I don't associate it with a person. I've seen people dedicated to newborn children also. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I, can, I can see that, yeah. Uh, regrettably, uh, Janine, <laughs> there's nobody who, when I heard the song, I was say, yeah, uh, <laughs> sorry. I'd have buzzed that bubble. But anyway, uh, but I will say this. I will say that, um, um, you know, um, I do remember hearing it on the album when it first came out, which was in 1969. Um, I would never have imagined at that point that it would have become a hit record or even an anthem right. or a global, a global hit. And really, um, it, it, it's it is absolutely, I mean, still listening to it now, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's beautifully arranged, beautifully sung. There's something in particular I want to uh, focus on because I think this song really epitomizes one of uh, Roberta's particular um, strengths strengths and assets as, as an artist, which is her phrasing. She doesn't rush through the song, and right. she, she's one of the very few um, artists I've ever heard, especially in live performance, who does pause between words or phrases so that you get the full impact of what she's just sung. Um, and, you know, there are other lyric lines in that song. The first time ever I kissed your lips. I mean, it, it, it is a beautiful, beautiful song. Of course, I, I, let, let's play a little bit of it, and then we can talk about a little bit about the backstory in case I don't know if you know about the backstory of how, how, that came, how it came to be in the movie. But let's talk about that after we've played a little bit of it. demonstrates all of her as you say her strength her skill her control her phrasing her her dynamics in the loud and soft you know it's yeah, just yeah. really compelling so just just uh, in case you are not completely aware of this story you might be 
I'm not sure, but uh, you know, it sat on that tell album. It. I'll tell it. It was sat on the album, and you know, um, as, as as people who really followed Roberta's career know, she had a, she had three albums out before she had a charted single, which actually turned out to be uh, her, one of the duets with Donny Hathaway from the Roberta Flack and Donny Hathaway album, You've Got a Friend. And um, it was actually, as the story goes, uh, Clint Eastwood, as the director of Play Misty for me, was um, pl- you know driving along a road, I believe, somewhere in California. And the song came on, first time, ever, first time ever I Saw Your Face came on. And he uh, supposedly pulled over because he was so struck by the beauty of the song. And uh, again, as legend has it, he called, um, got in touch with somebody who got in touch with Atlantic Records, who then put him in direct touch with Roberta. And she, he called her and said, uh, this is Clint Eastwood, and I want to use your song in, in, in my film. And I believe she was like uh, a little bit uh, blown away by that. And that turned out to be the platform that really launched Roberta Flack as a pop, soul, even you could say adult contemporary and jazz artist, but certainly as a, a global a global artist. And what a way to start a recording career for the masses, so to speak, with a, with a, a, a ballad, with something so plaintive that's not like anything else. That's quite exactly. a in and of itself. It's unique. Yes. And um, um, I think it established her as that kind of art. And I read an article the other day, and I actually sent you a copy of it um, from June in the AARP magazine, where she says that when Clint called her and asked her for the song, she wanted to re-record it. Like, oh, that's too slow for the movie. And he was like, no, 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 no. You have to leave it just the way it is. <laughs> okay. Let's move on now to um, uh, a few of the songs that are actually on the uh, deluxe edition of this of this uh, first take reissue, which is uh, coming out this month, July, um, mm-hmm. through soulmusic.com. Um, and this is related to the demos, which are actually on the CD. They, they form uh, disc two of the CD uh, version of this of this project. And... Um, you know, the, the backstory from, about it before we play a few of them, of the songs, is that for many years, uh, while those demos were logged into the Atlantic Tape Library, nobody could find them. I mean, you, there were boxes with the, the, with the, you know, it said Roberta Flack demos. And then I remember personally going into the vault and opening the box and there was nothing in there. So for a long time, everyone thought they're lost, you know, we're never going to find them, blah, blah, blah. Um, So um, fortunately, uh, working with the great people at uh, Rhino and Run Out Groove, we found, uh, they found, I shouldn't say we found, they found some of the demos. Um, And um, these demos were actually uh, recorded over a three-day period uh, in 1968, November of 1968, basically uh, Roberta, her drummer, and her bass player from um, from Washington, D.C., where she was performing, as we know, on a regular basis at Mr. Henry's. And basically she just uh, went in the studio and recorded everything that she had been performing at, at Mr. Henry's. So it was over a three-day 
three three sessions. And uh, so what we got to hear, when the project came to fruition, uh, some of the songs on here really represent the diversity of Roberta Flack's um, artistry. So let, let, let's talk about a few of them. Uh, I know um, one in particular that, that I want to focus on is one that seems uh, uh, a little bit of an anomaly, and I know you and I talked about this before with the podcast, which is a song called Groove Me. <laughs> yes, in listening to these demos, you really, you know, I really got the sense of her diversity and, you know, the, the way she was able to tackle a lot of different types of material. But this Groove Me song, like, like we said, like she became known for this plaintive, love ballad and on the flip side she could get funky and soulful too and that's what groove me kind of represents because it's it's sassy it's a song that's kind of like hey baby this is what you do to me you know this is this is how you make me feel i want you to come you know come close and it's it's more of the physical uh, expression of love than, you know, Roberta was known for a more cerebral and romantic. And and the song swings, you know, it, 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 it jams. And I like that. It's got, you know, some, some swing to it. And I, yeah. I, and she goes with it. She's so skilled as a jazz performer that she really makes it work too. All right. Well, let's hear some of Groove Me. When we were putting this together, uh, Patrick Milligan, who's the person I, I worked with on you know, compiling it and working it all, all out, uh, we could not find who wrote the song. I thought initially, before I heard it, that it was a, a hit for another artist called King right. Paul. No, and then we, 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 we asked uh, Roberta through her management, we asked if, if she knew it. She did not remember the song at all. So I'm, I'm guessing that this was a song that uh, maybe one of our musicians wrote and they were just doing, uh, you know, the, at, at Mr. Henry's as a kind of, you know, to break from the kind of, as you yeah. said, the, the, the more, uh, you know, the, the, the more, uh, the ballads and the, 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 the standards to do something that would keep people moving. So great. Yes, indeed, indeed. So let's move on now to another, um, to another demo. Uh, this is actually of, um, a song that at that time had only been previously recorded by a duo. So a little hint there. And the song is Ain't No Mountain High Enough. So when you heard uh, the demo, Roberta's demo of, the, of her version of the song, what was your reaction to it, Janine? Um, I loved it. As, you know, there are some songs that you really associate with the originators or, you know, the people who first recorded. And it really is a strong um, song for uh, Tammy Terrell and, and Marvin Gaye. And to hear it done again by one person mm-hmm. and she gives it, you know, she gives it all the flavor and all the lilt. And again, it's her phrasing that really brings home the message like yeah. nothing is going to stop me. OK, do you understand me? And um, I even love the little, um, you know, the little uh, sticks 
flip in between. I don't know how uh -huh. you call those riffs that yeah, yeah. just ties it to the Motown recording, if you will, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's wonderful. I like it. You, you know, uh, well, let, let's play it. Uh, let's play a little, a little of it now and, and talk a little bit more about it after. No, it's interesting because I, I did a little research on the song. I, for some reason, thought that it had been recorded by more than one Motown artist, uh, recording artist, before Roberta did it. But when I checked, it actually was, it was only Marvin and Tammy, as you said, as a duet. Um, and, of course, written by another duet, duo, uh, Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson, who at the time were not married. Um, what two young songwriters who, who had you know, been just, quote, uh, discovered not quite discovered but um shall we say that Barry Gordy after hearing uh, uh a, a very famous Ray Charles song called Let's Go Get Stoned uh which had been written by Ashford and Simpson <laughs> uh you know and heard some of their other stuff said you know I want you to come and you know join Motown a work with Motown artists so what's particularly interesting about this song also is that um Roberta would have been the only other person at that time to have even been doing it. Mm -hmm. so it was kind of contemporaneous because her, the, the Marvin and Tammy version came out in 1967. And here we have Roberta probably doing it in her live show and then certainly doing it on the demo. So I love it. That's I love that. Yeah. I, I, did, I did get a comment uh, uh, from Valerie Simpson, who uh, for many years has had been uh, Roberta's uh, neighbor. Uh, with, with with Nick Ashford in uh, in uh, New York, uh, and they were they'd been friends for a very long time, mm -hmm. and uh, so she was thrilled that uh, she had never heard it. So when she heard it, she was like, "Wow, this oh. is really this is really cool." Um, so yeah. <laughs> so now let's move on to one more of the demos, uh, which I think the one one more that we picked. Uh, this is something actually you picked, which is. Um, uh, some, I think it's good to talk about it because because it's a song that uh, probably is again distinct from what many people would expect uh, Roberta to do. So we're talking about Afro Blue. Afro Blue. Oh, talk to me, Janine, about Afro Blue. What it means to you? What what your thoughts are about the song? I mean, we know it's uh, it's not a, a, a Roberto's original song. I think the song wasn't it. It was first performed by Mongo Santa Maria, who wrote it, the percussionist, Correct. Latin percussionist, and it, it was uh, instrumental until yes. Oscar Brown Jr. added some lyrics. And I love it because, again, it's the lyrics are so poetic. And it's about black love, you know, it's not just love, but black love Two, you know, Afro blue, these two figures of, you know, varying shades coming together. It, it, and just, it's just, it just makes you feel. Yes. And, and it has a unique, um, rhythm to it that, you know, um, an Afro Cuban, rhythm to it that really brings the message home and marks it as different. And again, it shows you how great Roberta is at 
choosing different kinds of material that mm-hmm. reflect her interests and her who she is as an artist. You know, mm-hmm. so she wasn't right. afraid to be black. You know, no, clearly, <laughs> clearly, and you know, also something to say about that is you know the the album cover, the the cover of First Take. You know, yeah. she definitely is. She got, got her fro. I'd say that um, you know, to, to, because we're coming close to our, our time on, on the podcast. There are a couple of other songs that I think we should just mention. Um, there's one I want to talk about that which we, we may not get a chance to play any of it, but certainly I think it's important to mention it. Um, and that is "Ballad of the Sad Young Men," and. Um, as I shared with you prior to us doing the podcast, uh, Janine, uh, a lot of people don't didn't really know what the song was about at the time. It's a very obscure song. It was yeah. in a, I think it was a Broadway musical called The Nervous Set. And um, my memory of the song isn't so much hearing it on the, on the record. I don't know that I really knew. I, I kind of might have felt what it was about. Uh, what I recall about The Ballad of the Sad Young Men is that when Roberta Flack performed in London at the Royal Albert Hall, she spoke specifically about it. She she left it left people with no doubt um, that it was about gay men, uh, in particular the way that at that time politically correct thing would would have been said said homosexual men. That was how in 1972 people uh, spoke. Right. But it was riveting. I mean, you think about you know, this is a first album. And to do these, this kind of, these are songs with messages. I mean, wow. I mean, you know, that's really brave. I mean, I think, you know, it's so, I mean, to be honest with you, um, when I've listened to it subsequently, it does make me cry. Yeah. So I I think probably best that we don't play it because we don't want me sobbing because I might. And I understand that because it is a song about lives wasted out of fear or you know it, it, it is a very affecting song and you're right to for her to do it on that first album was incredible i mean she's sharing yeah. messages about all parts of society she's yeah. talking about troubled times even trade winds which is um, yeah we said a little bit about trade winds which is a bonus track it's not actually on the original album but was a song that we've added to this uh deluxe edition Something you want to say about trade winds? Well, only that um, I think most people know the song because Lou Rawls did it and had a, a minor hit with it. But, you know, again, it is her voice, her approach that makes you think about, you know, young people being lost in the street and, and poverty and, um, you know, carelessness of one man against the other. And again, relevant to today wow, and her yeah, approach, yeah. while Lou Rawls kind of swung it you know with a huge orchestration hers again is spare and very personal yeah yeah wow I think that's a perfect way to um complete our conversation I think that the, the one other thing I would add is that what in, in reviewing this project in reviewing the deluxe edition what becomes apparent is that um while many people would relate to Roberta Flack as a singer of love songs, she actually has been, and particularly on this album and the recordings around that time, a social messenger. And that yeah. kind of lost a little bit. I, I, I don't think that people 
necessarily have related to her that way. But I think this album is, and our conversation about it, may draw to people's attention the fact that she, while she made some exquisite, exquisite love songs, she also was someone who was not afraid and courageous to use music to speak, to speak about issues that are in many ways timeless. Exactly. And do it in her own inimitable way. She didn't follow trends and she was her own artist with her own style. And I think it's time for people to really understand by listening to this reissue who she really was, because they might have a sense of her during the later years, you know, with the songs that she did with Donnie Hathaway and some of those more upbeat. Yes. Yes. Well, thankfully, she's still here with us. So she's yes. going to be, uh, have a chance to hopefully hear what we have to say about First Take. Janine, uh, it's just really been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I, I look forward to doing more of these uh, conversations with you. And, uh, thank just thank you so you. much. Thank you for your time. Yeah. This has been delightful. And now I have to listen to all Roberta's music for the next week. So Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, David. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks, David and Janine. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform and visit us with breaking news and daily updates about your favourite soul and R&B artists over at soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.